How does an adult with ADHD, OCD, and more thrive in today's world? In this episode, I interview a bright young woman who will share her top three survival strategies. You're listening to Finding Your Brilliance, Episode 6. I'm your host, Katherine Hui. Today, I'm talking with Sam Littler, who I met at the Twin Cities Book Fair. She's a young adult who impressed me for several reasons. One of the things that I love about people with ADHD and why I'm so attracted to people in this field is the unique creative qualities that I see people with ADHD exude. At the fair, when I saw Sam, her hair was colored that day, I believe. Sam, was it? Was it blue? Or was it oh, pink? yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, she comes up this beautiful young woman. She's got this hair that's impressive to me because if I was not 50, I would want to be dyeing my hair too. And I might. Um, and then I start talking with Sam about ADHD because I was selling my book there. Right away, she impressed with me with sharing about some of the strategies she uses to manage her own ADHD, which we'll get into a so hi, Sam. It's so hi. great to have you. It's so wonderful that you agreed to come and talk about you as an adult having ADHD. Just, I want to say that that's not something everyone's willing to talk about. Well, I really appreciate you having me. And I think that mental health is such an important topic. I have come to grow into my diagnosis as an adult and be very open about it, especially working with young people it helps me to be more relatable and let them know that I really understand where they're coming from because I'm going through it too. Yeah. Well, would you mind sharing about how old you were when you were diagnosed with ADHD and just a, just a little bit of your history there? Of course. I think I got the official diagnosis, uh, 14, 15, around that age. I never actually got to see the diagnosis itself, because as a minor, everything was through my parents, and there wasn't a lot of transparency in the way that my parents and I communicated about mental health. It was kind of stigmatized. So there was a understanding that there was something going on, especially since even as a very, very young child, there was obviously something off about the way that I learned. Uh, it wasn't really until I was eight years old, for example, that I could read even Dr. Seuss. Like the first book I ever read all by myself was Green Eggs and Ham in the second grade. You had dyslexia as well. I, you know, I never got diagnosed with dyslexia. I do also have, I discovered um, as an adult, obsessive compulsive disorder um, in the form of trichotillomania as well as narcolepsy. So all of these things affect my attention span. They affect my memory And as a young child, never got any diagnosis other than some sort of developmental delay. But with the help of special tutors and a lot of extra support, I was able to overcome and actually exceed expectations. And by fifth grade was reading Harry Potter all by myself. (laughs) Can you explain what trichotillomania is in case people don't know what that is? Absolutely. So there's actually some debate as to whether or not it is obsessive impulsive disorder or its own thing. But trichotillomania is a compulsion to pull out hair. 
though this is a non-visual podcast, you can probably see that my eyebrows are quite will pull in different areas of their body. I'm an eyelash and eyebrow puller. So part of the way that my anxiety or lack of attention span manifest is through hair pulling. It's challenging because I've had so many medical professionals tell me that if I'm seeking medication and intervention, that certain ADHD things that are often medicated for ADHD are going to exacerbate the OCD or vice versa. So I had to make this decision as to what could I cope with better so that I could address the other issue. You had to prioritize what symptom was interfering with your functioning and happiness in life the most. For you, it's OCD. Absolutely. Well, so that's what impressed me about you. Okay, almost it sounds like there was a concern about possible developmental delay with you early on. And to hear you speak now, I'm so excited that you were pursuing youth development. And it, you are so articulate. And you impressed me. This is why I immediately was thinking, I want her to be on my podcast. You seem to embrace you're, you have this openness, again, this brilliance that shines. And so right away when I met Sam, I was mentioning, I'm not sure. Do you remember how it ended up that you pulled the putty out of your backpack? I liked that you had manipulatives on your table, not only um, manipulatives, but something that had worked really well for me, which are those little wire rings yes it's Compression not rings. You see yes it's not something that you see very often and when i am discussing coping strategies with people in my life i always bring that up as here's something that's worked for me as a manipulative and there it was sitting on your table where everyone else had ever come across and never even heard of such a thing Will you describe why your compression rings work for you? And what is it? Describe it a little bit. What are they? I, so they're these, they almost look like a twisted wire. You can get them in a ring size and a bracelet size. Um, they come in all different colors. I've seen them in different thicknesses of wire. I prefer the thinner wire over the thicker wire. And they're, they have pointed edges, but the edges are also rounded. Mm -hmm. So you can press, you know, your skin against it and it gives a sensation that is easier to focus on when your attention is struggling to stay on track. Or mm -hmm. for me, when I'm anxious and wanting to pull my hair out, oh. or when I'm dealing with both of those things at the same time, which is really common for me where my mind is in a million different directions and I'm starting to spiral, it's that's my ADHD coming out in full force. And it's helpful for me to ground myself with something tangible that's in my hand that I can touch and manipulate and something about the pressure of the wire ring and that it's kind of pokey, but not painful. It's, it's just yeah. the right amount of touch. Well, I don't even have ADHD, Sam, and you're making me want to go grab those and put them on my <laughs> right now because I can't tell you how many kids get through testing because of the little compression rings. And if people are interested, look up compression ring 
on Amazon and you can order like a, a container of a hundred or something for like eight dollars yeah they're very inexpensive so they're accessible both that and then the thinking putty is very helpful to me um i i'm not uh trying to advertise any specific brand or anything like that but i have found a success with aaron's thinking putty specifically which target has now started carrying which is great because oh. i used to have to go to like creative kids stuff or like a specialty store but now there's an end cap at every Target that has a big old crazy Aaron section. It's not sticky. It doesn't dry out. It doesn't pick up dirt and dust that a lot of like silly putty or Play-Doh. It doesn't like get stuck under your fingernails. So that's another manipulative that I really like and have found though, um, if you're like me and you're going to carry them around and kind of beat them up a little bit, uh, the little tins if they get dented are impossible to open so oh. I would definitely invest in the bigger tins <laughs> they're much easier to open especially if it's like sitting in a purse upside down it if the putty is stuck to the lid and it's a little dented those little ones I've had to like throw I was so devastated I had to throw one away because I just didn't get the darn thing open Sam, I know what you're talking about the other day I was doing a feedback session with a family and I was trying to give the putty to the to the teenager so that the teen would be more comfortable listening to the results from the testing and every it, it was distracting us all so much because nobody could open it yeah. that away from the whole I was like no never mind but what I that again you impressed me with you you have strategies you've been using strategies to help you that you carry around regularly. And I, and I, so many people aren't aware of how to, they just are used to being told, stop, stop moving, stop talking, stop for you. Probably stop. You're, you're pulling your eyebrows out. Stop it. Have your parents learned some things that really help with you that you feel like you've taught your parents or that have organically happened in your family? Not so much my family, just because as an adult, I now live pretty far away from the people in my life that I would call, you know, like my biological family. But I have a lot of people in my life I call family that are my friends, that yeah. become my family and my network. They're very good about reminding me rather than saying, stop, don't do that. You need to put your hands down or... um actually physically trying especially if I'm like pulling my my hair trying to physically remove my hand from my face is actually very scary uh because if if my hand is obstructing my vision and all I see is something coming at me I am going to have a negative reaction to that mm -hmm. so instead the people in my life remind me like you should go play with your putty or do you have mm -hmm. your putty or you know, do you want to go for a walk or, you know, do you need to talk for a minute and to pick up on the cues of I'm spiraling and my head is in a million directions and I need to ground myself and focus. So the people around me pick up on those things and help me navigate back to a place where I can, can focus, can sit still, can um, be grounded in the space that I'm in and pay attention to whatever it is I'm supposed to be paying attention to. Yeah. So you're open to them reminding you about your resources or saying sh helping shift you without getting physical in any way without, or 
clearly not saying for you to stop, but tell you what to do instead. Exactly. Because I, I can't stop. I can't just stop without some sort of intervention. Mm-hmm. Uh, if my, you know, whether, even if it's just an affirmation, if I'm spiraling because I'm having some anxious thought and then my ADHD kicks in and I'm going a mile a minute to reassure me that I'm, you know, to validate what I'm feeling or what I'm thinking is as legitimate. Even something as simple as that can help pull me out of it. Mm -hmm. Well, you've gotten a lot of therapy. I, I can tell, like you've had a lot of different interventions and I'm wondering if you were going to say to an adult or to a teen, or even to a child, if you were going to say to someone diagnosed with ADHD, and clearly it would be different language you'd use depending on the age, but what are some of the things that helped you the most that you would say, these are the therapies or the interventions that have really helped me get to where I am? Like top three. The Well, the first thing is finding a good therapist and a good therapist. I mean, I've never had a therapist that wasn't a good therapist, but that means a good therapist for you. And I always tell people, whether it's peers, colleagues, youth that I'm working with, finding a good therapist is kind of like dating. You <laughs> have to experiment and see what works for you and get to know the person and understand your dynamic together and their style and your style. And it's okay to say, this isn't right for me. You're not the right professional for me. There's never, I've never heard of a therapist that had a contract where you had to stay with them. And in fact, I've had therapists where they've been more than happy and open to suggesting other professionals. Mm-hmm. If you're not feeling like they're the right fit for you. Mm-hmm. So step one, find a good therapist because that's going to look different for every person. For me, it's been really helpful to be open and honest. Um, I think in high school, it was really challenging for me to have these signs and symptoms and expressions of ADD, ADHD, OCD, and narcolepsy, which I just got diagnosed with this past summer, but have had symptoms my entire life, to answer questions uh, that other people have, which in high school and, you know, teens are, they're invasive. So Mm -hmm. to not be content in my diagnosis um, was challenging. So I took it upon myself to do a lot of research and really get to know my diagnosis and get to know who, how that affects who I am as a person and start to experiment with how to express that to others and be really forward and destigmatizing discussions around mental health. And I don't think that's something that I fully came into until my mid twenties, but especially now in my late twenties, it's not anything to be ashamed of. And it's nothing that I can I I can't control my diagnosis. I can control how I react, how I can educate others, how I can cope. That's been really helpful. You are going to just thrive and you're, you have so much career space ahead of you so much. And so many teenagers, adults, people are going to hear you talk about this and 
you will model for them how to do these things. My son, who's 20, who the book that I wrote is about, he's, I see him starting to really through, he's starting to share more about his diagnosis with ADHD. And I can't wait for him to hear this podcast of you talking and for others to hear that, the being completely comfortable with sharing. And I don't know if I would even say you're completely comfortable. You seem like you are so hard to to really own neurodiversity um and invisible illness you know not that i necessarily consider any of my diagnosis an illness but it definitely affects my behavior it affects my personality it's part of who i am Mm -hmm. and it's not something that people it's not something i carry on the outside i don't have a stamp on my head that says this girl has all these things going on inside (laughs) her brain uh i just have to cope with it. Yes. So coping is a good shift for us to talk about. Do you have suggestions? Let's say three suggestions for people that have ADHD. I'm a list person. I'm a write down while I'm thinking about it person um, because I can literally have a thought, oh, I need to pick up my phone and look at the weather. And the second I pick up my phone, I forgot what I'm doing. Um, If I write down in the moment, you know, here's what needs to accomplish today. It's easier for me to then prioritize and not forget anything uh, because being ADHD is being extremely forgetful or thinking I've done something when I haven't. That's forgetful. Okay. (laughs) Which you got to experience as I sent you an email, which was like, did I actually respond to you? Because I feel like I did, but I don't have a record that I did, which is another coping strategy for me actually is communicating and writing. So even if I, you know, as a youth worker in the past, when I was working with a, a client that also had a cell phone, face-to-face, I would then afterwards write up a summary of what our interaction had been and actually text it to them so that I had something tangible to fall back on when I, in a week or a day or whatever, maybe couldn't remember what the conversation was. So to, when interacting with, you know, personal, it's, I feel like it's so much easier to be that organized when you're at work and then step into your personal life, you don't have all the calendars, you don't have all the office supplies, you don't have all the structure, it's on you. So so I love that what you say about putting it in writing, putting the information in writing helps you. Oh, I know what I was going to say to you. When I was doing a talk recently, people were really surprised about the memory differences with ADHD. You know, Sam, I think people view it as inattention, but they don't realize that memory is so affected. Not only with ADHD, but with narcolepsy too. So I have two different things that are affecting my memory, specifically my short-term memory. I could not tell you what I had for dinner yesterday but I could draw you a floor plan of a house I went into one time when I was five. I I don't know why my brain holds on to certain information, but I do know that to deal with the, the lack of memory, especially when I'm doing something academic, I really have to 
shift how I am interacting with the information I'm trying to receive. So like in college, I felt like I had to do 10 times more work than any of my peers just to get the baseline of information because it was a matter of, I recorded every lecture with consent from the professor and I almost had to write everything down verbatim. And Mm -hmm. then if I missed something, I went back and listened to the recording, but then I would have to then type out notes because of course I can't study from an entire you know, series of lectures, I need something a little more specific, uh, a little uh, briefer. But then I would also color code things and use different like font sizes and different typesets because I needed it organized in a way that I could read it over and over and over again and compartmentalize information. So just studying for a basic exam, the prep work for that took hours and hours and hours and hours. So I, and now as an adult in the professional world, if I have to receive new information, it's, it's almost that same repetition is needed because I don't remember things. Right. You write lists and rely on them heavily and you learned a massive amount of strategies. So, so lists are a big one. What's another thing that's going to help that, you know, will help you with maybe some of the physical restlessness. Uh, carrying around my manipulatives and, you know, I have no shame in being an adult who plays with toys. Um, I also have these stretchy, I'd have to look up what they're called, but these stretchy strings, they're, um, kind of squishy and not sticky and those, the compression rings and the thinking putty are my, my top three. And I always have something ready to go so that if I'm feeling fidgety or more often for me, my, my ADHD doesn't manifest as fidgety as often as it manifests in a lack of attention. So if I'm sitting for a long duration of time, I'm not necessarily crawling out of my skin with wanting to move. I just can't focus for an extended period of time. And when I'm in a situation in the, you know, it's the holidays, you want to be respectful to the people you're with, your family, you want to, or in a meeting at work, or you're in a situation where you can't, your mind can't be wandering. Again, having something in my hands helps me focus and center myself and ground myself and keep me in the moment and help keep that distraction at bay. And I've also found a couple of apps on my phone that do that, but I have to be careful. That's a little more appropriate in a family setting or friend setting than in a work setting, because I don't want anyone to think or perceive that I'm, you know, goofing around on my phone and not paying attention when really that color by number app is keeping me focused on what you're saying. Yeah. I could see like my mother saying, get off your phone, grandkids, you know, even though they're 20 and 17, (laughs) so you would have to say to that person, I'm using an app to help me focus and advocate for yourself. And I have had to do that. Um, you know, like it, especially in a a professional situation, um, where I forgot my manipulatives in the car and all I have with me is my phone as a resource. And, you know, I get that, 
what are you doing? And it's like, I'm just honing in my attention and reigning in my ADHD. And then I get an, oh, okay. And they move on and it's fine. Um, depending on the situation you're in or, you know, if it's a, a setting where no one, like you have to pay attention, but it's such a big group that no one's really paying attention to what you're doing specifically yeah. to focus. That's, it's a little easier to slide with, uh, you know, doing something on your phone, but even it was a challenge in college before I discovered manipulatives that worked for me because I would be playing something mindless on my phone to help me focus and professors would start to notice and get mad or call me out on it and I didn't have the resolve at the time to say like this is what I need to be doing to focus on what you are saying. So you would probably advise someone to talk to the professor beforehand or talk to relatives beforehand at a, at a holiday gathering and say, I am not going through my Instagram right now. I am actually doing an app that is, you said color by number. I like color by number. Um, in the past, it's been like solitaire, some card game that is something that is mindless for you. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've seen different people use different apps that, um, you know, you don't want something that you really have to pay attention to. Or there's different apps made for mental health, like with breathing exercises or mm-hmm. um, different activities that help to refocus your thinking. So if that's something that you need and you don't, that's the only resource you have available to you in, you know, in retrospect, I think what I should have done and what I could do is you have that conversation and be open and advocate for yourself and saying, I am not trying to be disrespectful here. Actually, I'm trying to be more respectful because I might need to be on my phone for a little bit to help me be more present in the moment. I think that's a great idea. You have to be open and comfortable with your own diagnoses, which you are. And that's what I say to families in session when I'm making these diagnoses. And a lot of times I meet with the parents alone first. And I say, how are you planning to talk about this at home? And I encourage a lot of open discussion, hoping that that person will get to a place where you are, where then they have the skills to say to their professor something. It's still a little intimidating, right? Because you don't know how that professor is going to view your diagnoses. But that's what you need to do. And you might get a negative reaction, but the worst they can say is no. (laughs) It doesn't hurt to try and um, to be okay with knowing that there are other options. You know, if if you need to go on a target run and grab some thinking putty because (laughs) your your professor or your grandma is not okay with you being on your phone, (laughs) have that with you and, you know, carry that around with you or, you you know, they are 10 bucks a pop. um, But I have them everywhere. I have had one on my desk. I have one in my car. I have one in my purse. I have one on my nightstand. I have one in my kitchen. I, so they're always accessible. Um, and that's been really helpful. And, you know, it is, it is hard to, to come to terms with what you're living with so that you can advocate for yourself. But I also think it brings a lot of resilience. I think I'm an extremely resilient person. 
And part of that is because of the mental health journey that I've been on my, and the learning journey I've been on my entire life. Yeah. And I feel like you probably, someone like you would make me, if I had trichotillomania or narcolepsy, if I had something that I was really struggling with that day, let's say I was having a, just, I was super sad. I would feel open to be able to say to you, I'm just having such a lousy day because you've been open with me and it would let me know that you would accept me as a person. And I think also in being authentic and genuine and non-judgmental, both as a youth worker and as an, a person m- makes me a safe person to talk to. And people realize that and know that. But also I have so many friends that I trust because I'm so open that I connect with people very easily. And to have people that have my back, especially you know, there are times, um, not anymore due to the medications I'm on, but in the past with the narcolepsy, where I would actually have a cataplectic event, which meant losing muscle control and not being able to articulate or verbalize anything until I was, I was conscious. I was fine. I was just, my trigger is laughter. So I'd be laughing so hard that I literally couldn't speak or move. Um, and to have that friend, when I'm getting the odd looks or, you know, the concerns, the concerned looks, you know, is she, she intoxicated? Is she okay? Does she need help to have the friend say, no, 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 she's fine. She's just having an event. But as soon as she catches her breath, she'll stand up and be okay. And to have people that like know what I'm going through because I've been able to trust them with that. And then they can advocate for me when I can't advocate for myself um, is so important. Yeah. Yeah. I just love that. Thank you so much, Sam, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This has really brought so much joy to me today to just see you again. My guest today was Sam Littler, who is an adult with ADHD who impressed me at the Twin Cities Book Fair. That's how we met. You can find out more about me on my website, kqadhdnu.com. That's and, A-N-D, and the letter U.com. And until we meet again, just remember that we each have our own brilliance. Sometimes it just takes a while to find it. Mm